Welcome to Pick 6 Movies, where each season we select six movies all related to a single theme. We examine the history of the people in front of and behind the camera, try to make sense of how and why the movie was made, and then discuss each one in way too much detail to see if they're any good. I'm Chad Cooper, and along with my co-host, Bo Ransdell, this season it's Live from New York where we're taking on six movies featuring characters from the sketch comedy television show, Saturday Night Live. The original cast of Saturday Night Live consisted of seven primary performers, four men and three women. Gilda Radner was the first cast member hired when the show was created. Her impression of Barbara Walters and the perpetually outraged Rosanna Rosanna Dana set a precedent for brilliant mockery of cultural icons and the creation of wholly original comedic personas. Jane Curtin co-anchored the show's news parody staple, Weekend Update, and portrayed the Conehead family matriarch, Primat. And the versatile Lorraine Newman's voice will forever be in my head as I pass any seafood counter as I hear her remind me, Wow, that's good bass. Now, over the years, Saturday Night Live had a sliding scale of the number of male versus female performers in the show's cast. But consistently, the number of men in the cast has outnumbered the women. But the women on Saturday Night Live have held their own when it comes to generating memorable moments from this American comedic institution. Over the decades of this show's run, there have emerged some of the funniest women in entertainment to date. Jan Hooks, Nora Dunn. Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Ellen Cleghorn, Maya Rudolph, Sherry O'Terry, Anna Gasthire, Tina Fey, Amy Poehler. The list goes on and on when it comes to female performers that were as gifted as anyone who ever appeared on Saturday Night Live. However, some female performers were cast only to leave the show after short stints on the program to find greater success elsewhere. Janine Garofalo, Sarah Silverman, Joan Cusack, and Jenny Slate are all alumni of this very select group of female performers that left, for a variety of reasons, to follow very different and very successful career paths. And through all the impressions and original characters that this group of incredibly talented women showcased in Studio 8H, only one woman from the cast created a wholly unique female character that was too big of a star to be contained on the small screen. Molly Shannon's character, Mary Catherine Gallagher, appeared in 16 sketches over six years. The popularity of the sketch helped Mary Catherine to be selected as one of the characters to be featured in her own motion picture as part of the post-Wayne's World wave of 1990s-era SNL character movie adaptations. For many of these films, it was difficult, if not an impossible, task to make a feature film out of a character known for a handful of personality quirks catchphrases, and predictable punchlines. But as it turns out, Superstar isn't just a series of pedestrian pratfalls, recitation of made-for-TV-movie monologues, and the smelling of underarm odor from one's fingertips. Superstar is a surprisingly sweet, awkwardly romantic, and slightly autobiographical reflection of Molly Shannon herself. In short, the movie is kind of a miracle. So without further delay... I happily present to you Episode 2, Superstar. Way back in 1957, in an interview with Cosmopolitan magazine, Steve Allen, one of the early hosts of The Tonight Show and a veteran television personality and radio star, made the following statement. 
Man jokes about the things that depress him, but he usually waits till a certain amount of time has passed. I guess you can make a mathematical formula out of it. Tragedy plus time equals comedy. And so it is with the heroine of our story this episode, Molly Helen Shannon. Molly Shannon was born in 1964 in Shaker Heights, Ohio, which is about the most picturesque a name for a town this side of Grover's Corners. She was the youngest of three daughters. Her mother, Mary Margaret, was a teacher, while her father, James, worked as a sales manager. It was an idyllic, middle-class life that would change forever in 1969, when Molly was only four years old. She was placed in the car with one of her sisters, a cousin, and her mother and father. During that car trip, an accident occurred which would take the lives of Molly's cousin, sister, and her mother. Her father was critically hurt and would be permanently disabled. As Shannon said, he, quote, had to wear braces in his legs and had to learn to walk again following the crash. Molly and her remaining sister would grow up with her father, but the bruising emotional trauma of the loss, a sudden and mind-bending twist in the way the life of a child is supposed to go, set Molly Shannon on a path that would take her all the way to starring in her own feature film. In grade school, she attended St. Dominic's School in Shaker Heights, a private Catholic school. From there, she would leave Ohio behind to attend New York University's Tisch School of the Arts, although she struggled to get work after graduation. Quote, I was auditioning for soap operas with monologues from Agnes of God, Shannon joked. Fed up with her rotten luck in New York, Molly Shannon headed west to sunny Los Angeles, where she landed a big gig as a hostess for Cravings Restaurant. She did live theater, her own stuff, asking guests of her restaurant gig to come see her. She said she would ask about 500 people to come to a show in hopes that 200 of those would actually make it. Much like a certain awkward schoolgirl we'll discuss in a minute, Molly Shannon was driven. Her first feature film came in the form of a horror remake, The Phantom of the Opera, starring Freddy Krueger himself, Robert England. It's a gory and ultimately subpar movie, but Molly Shannon was building a resume. A couple of years later, she showed up on cult television staple Twin Peaks. Then, a few episodes of In Living Color, and guest appearances on shows like Sister Sister and The John Larroquette Show, before reaching a pinnacle of her fame in playing Homeless Lady in Lawnmower Man 2 Beyond Cyberspace. I don't bring this up to mock her films, but to point out that Molly Shannon was a dedicated actor, taking what she could get and living a life far removed from Shaker Heights, Ohio. As fate would have it, in February of 1995, Janine Garofalo had just left the cast of Saturday Night Live. Garofalo, a veteran of sketch comedy from the Ben Stiller show and a well-regarded alternative comedian, had been on the show for only six months, but felt relegated to, quote, secondary wife and girlfriend roles. She described the sketches as juvenile and homophobic, and those around her agreed that it was, for Garofalo, the most miserable experience of her professional career. It was a genuine case of creative differences, and Garofalo was out of SNL. 
The search was on to replace her with a new featured cast member, and Molly Shannon's name came up. She was scouted in Los Angeles before auditioning for Lorne himself in New York, and she was brought on with little fanfare or debate. She brought with her a stable of characters workshopped in her live acts. There was Sally O'Malley, the senior-age showgirl who liked to kick and punch and kick, based on her own father, who Shannon described as this tough, wild, dapper Irishman. There was a mousy NPR talk show host and a goth girl named Cersei who appeared on her own chat show, but the character that Molly Shannon would be most known for, and perhaps is still best known for, is the subject of our film, Mary Catherine Gallagher. Mary Catherine Gallagher was invented by Shannon during her live days, and she'd been told by friends specifically not to use that character in her audition for SNL. It was too quirky and odd. Mary Catherine Gallagher is, by Shannon's own admission, a version of herself. Like Molly Shannon, Mary Catherine Gallagher attended a Catholic school. Like Shannon, she was awkward and energetic in a way that could seem spastic to others. The way Shannon describes her, quote, she's the kind of girl who always thinks she's in trouble. She's feeling like any moment there could be an explosion nearby, so she's very erratic. Things aren't steady. She comes from a very troubled background, and some of it's made up, some of it's not. Mary Catherine Gallagher is not feminine at all, and well, that's a product of not having a mother. That's like something went wrong there. It's a fictionalized version of me. A signature trait that didn't come entirely from Shannon was Mary Catherine Gallagher's habit of driving her hands under her armpits and smelling the results. That actually came from a friend of hers she vacationed with as a young woman. She said that she and her friend had reached the age where the body begins producing all sorts of unusual smells, and her friend would encourage Shannon to smell her fingers after they'd been in the friend's armpits. From what I understand, this was a two-way street. The character was popular on SNL, and Shannon began being recognized on the street for her portrayal of the clumsy, quirky character. In 1998, she would appear alongside Will Ferrell and other castmates of SNL for the feature film version of A Night at the Roxbury. Hold on for that episode later this season. It was a modest success financially, though it was panned critically. Shannon would go on to appear in bit parts in films like Never Been Kissed and Analyze This before she was handed her own movie starring Mary Catherine Gallagher. So enter Steve Corin, who was a writer on SNL, and he had contributed to the Mary Catherine Gallagher sketches. He was a natural choice to bring on as a co-writer, which he was. Corin got around and pinned some great episodes of Seinfeld before finally kicking up his heels in a virtual retirement and watching the money roll in by being in the Adam Sandler stable of derelicts, named as executive producer on Grown Ups, Just Go With It, Blended, and Pixels. Ugh, that's a real murderer's row of bad movies. But Corn helped shape the Mary Catherine Gallagher story into something with a three-act structure and, you know, a story. Lorne Michaels, Grand Poobah of SNL, wanted this movie to happen. To quote Corrin, Lorne was really into the movies. But Corrin and Shannon's first passes lacked a focus, and it would be the director that brought this key ingredient. For me, Bruce McCullough is a minor deity. He is one of the funniest performers from the Kids in the Hall 
who are all very, very funny people. And his comedy album, Shame Based Man, is one of the oddest, most hilarious comedy albums I've ever heard. His name alone lends a kind of credibility to a project, which is only emphasized by the fact that he initially turned the job of directing Superstar down. Not because of Shannon or the character, but because he was actually sensitive to the idea that this was, in many ways, a story about Molly Shannon. And what right did he have to tell that personal story? In essence, Bruce McCullough was afraid he would just get it wrong. Shannon, on the other hand, really wanted him on the project, and she was encouraged by her Never Been Kissed co-star, Drew Barrymore, to literally run after McCullough's plane to ask him to reconsider. He finally did agree, obviously, and brought to the project a singular focus for the character. This would be a movie about her finding herself and having her first kiss. Now, we'll get into a discussion of the film proper in a moment, But it's worth mentioning it's riddled with cameos, from SNL co-star Will Ferrell to Harlan Williams as tough guy Eric Slater, a young Tom Green as a lunatic, and the film marked the final role for Glennis Johns, who plays the grandmother in the film. She is best remembered by me as the overbearing mother from The Ref, though her career spanned roughly 60 years of film and television. On its release, the movie was a commercial and a critical disappointment. Roger Ebert said about Superstar, quote, Here is a portrait of a character so sad and hapless, so hard to like, so impossible to empathize with, that watching it feels like an act of unkindness. Now, in fairness, he said a similar thing about Night at the Roxbury, so... Look, the movie may not have lit up the box office or become an instant classic. Shannon was ecstatic about the movie, though. She attended numerous screenings, often surprising members of the audience by sitting alongside them as she performed for them on the screen. There is an infectious positivity in Molly Shannon's manner that belies some of her darker humor. And she gushed later in life about how people approach her to this day, and the name they bring up is Mary Catherine Gallagher. At the time of her departure from SNL, Shannon was the longest-serving female performer in the show's history, a record that's since been broken. But she has acted, done voice work, and even wrote a children's book. In many ways, Shannon's life can be seen as a pure victory, overcoming early tragedy to become one of the best-known comedic actors of her time. And yet, there is something in her, in her characters, specifically Mary Catherine Gallagher. There is a flippant approach to the tragedies of life, and a determination to push past, to find something more. To quote Shannon herself, when asked about that car accident from a day in 1969, she says, It's a horrible thing that throws off your whole map of how the world should be. But it made me tough. All the rejections I had to deal with, nothing could be as bad as that. It gave me a kind of bounceability. But what about the movie itself? Does a sad story make a good comedy? Do all the cameos in this actually amount to anything funny? And was Roger Ebert right when he said that watching it is an act of unkindness? For these answers, ladies and gentlemen, I offer you 
1999's Superstar. Folks, welcome back uh, to Pick 6 Movies. As the introduction implied, tonight's film is Superstar. Uh, as we go through through our live from New York season, Chad, I'm going to go out on a limb here and and begin by saying, I think this is the closest thing to a real movie we've done so far. I I think that that is a an accurate statement. It is it again. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. It has well rounded characters. I found this to be an incredibly satisfying and enjoyable movie from beginning to end when we do like with the the turd ferguson stuff right that is all kind of bad to one degree or another then you had your wayne's world too which is is not a very good movie at all no it's it's a terrible movie um, <laughs> as it turns out the one thing i noticed you know out of the gate it's only 81 minutes long boy i you like to see that on a runtime when you're doing a movie for a show huh <laughs> <laughs> and then the second thing I noticed, and you touched on this in your intro, is that Bruce McCullough directed this movie. And I, I was excited about both of those things. I was like, this one's short and sweet. And we got a really competent guy who understands comedy, unlike the first six movies we talked about for this show. <laughs> and I was like, like I am I'm definitely intrigued by this. Even if it's terrible, it's really not going to take that long to get through it. Right. This is a real, like, I can hold my nose for 80 minutes sort of situation. So here's something you don't care about. Bruce McCullough not only directed this film and, you know, did the incredible album Shame Based Man that I mentioned in the intro, but I feel like shouting that out again because it is that good. <laughs> it is good. I've still never been to a vigil. <laughs> the song about uh, Daddy's on the Drink Again is one of the funniest things I've ever heard. Yeah, everybody's dad drinks rye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all the stuff about the Chinese food. Anyway, it's fantastic. If you haven't heard it, you should seek it out. Uh, Shame-based man. But the thing that you don't care about is there is a band that never got any traction in the U.S. but was giant in Canada called The Tragically Hip that I really like. Bruce McCullough directed one of their music videos called Music at Work, which is a really good song. And it was kind of interesting. After I found that out, I went back and watched that video again, which I'd seen. And I was like, oh yeah, there's a little bit of... Like, you, you can see kind of a directorial consistency between Superstar and that in a weird way. There's some kind of weird dissolves and, and that sort of thing. So uh, if you want to get into a band where the lead singer is now dead, I think, the Tragically Hip is awfully good. I personally really like Molly Shannon. And, and I really liked this movie. Um, I know with a lot of the films that we've walked through, there's a lot of uh, picking on films. And so I was curious to see uh, how our conversation goes tonight of having a you know an in-depth, deep dive on a film that I found to be incredibly charming. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, you know, we'll see how it goes. This will be a little bit of a change of pace because I think we're both coming at this movie less from a hypercritical point of view and more from a... Hey, this turned out all right. Hey, this was okay, everybody. <laughs> so at the start of our film, we have a, a group of children doing this Busby Berkeley-esque number in what I'm guessing is a public pool. Sure. And it's set to the song Beautiful by the Go-Go's. 
And again, fun fact about me, I like the Go-Go's. And I, <laughs> I also think that this opening musical number is there just to make sure that we don't clock in under 80 minutes. And I think it does a reasonably good job of setting this in a world where this kind of thing could happen. Like your opening scene is a bunch of kids initially just jumping into the pool and then it turns into a musical. But but so let's let's get into this. So it begins with Mary Catherine Gallagher, the the Molly Shannon character, of course, uh, our our heroine of the film, narrating as she talks about how to get into a pool. And she says, there's, "There's two ways." And this is kind of where I started to feel charmed by the movie because I think this is kind of nice. And she says, "There one way to get in." is to slowly ease yourself in. You test the water and you creep in a little bit at a time and you let your body adjust to the temperature. And as she describes this, we see a a, a young boy doing exactly what she describes. And she says, but I always like the other way, which is just her as a young child cannonballing into a pool and she hits the poor kid uh, who has eased himself into the water and knocks him unconscious. And she has to rescue him. She drags him out out of the pool uh, to the side. And once she realizes that he is, in fact, going to be okay, she uh, immediately, not gloats, it's more of a celebration, uh, and throws up her arms and says, lifeguard. I think also at the... At the beginning of this one, I was in doubt as to whether or not she clocked the kid and caused him to drown. I wasn't sure about that because the kid gets in and then she jumps in. So to me, that was still a little bit in doubt, but I could go either way and it doesn't really matter. But one of the things that you know I felt about this movie is that this is really a, a focus on a character learning to embrace this part of who she is, because for so much of the movie, um, her character is very reserved. And doesn't allow herself to embrace that cannonball into the swimming pool type behavior in other aspects of her life. So seeing that this is sort of at her core, some part of who she is, um, it's really nice. Again, when we see the payoff of how she's able to display a similar excitement towards life that she doesn't show throughout so much of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's one of the things that makes the character fun, you know, in in the Molly Shannon performance is that she's always reserved but on the verge of a blow up. One thing I wanted to also note is that the music in this film just carries the movie along in a very beautiful way. Michael Gore, who did the the music for the film, um, was also the composer on uh, Pretty in Pink and Terms of Endearment and Fame, which gets a couple of nods later on in the movie. And this score just kind of has this optimistic, playful tone that reflects the characters and story that's being told. And before I looked it up, I thought it was going to be maybe like James Newton Howard. It it reminded me a lot of the music from Dave. Yeah, I, I would almost argue that this movie is maybe a little ahead of its time in the sense that I don't know that at the time of release and, you know, pre 2000 era that this kind of goofy but also strangely somber kind of film it it lives in a heightened reality it feels very much like a cartoon in a lot of ways but it, there's a consistency to all of that i don't know joe dirt is another movie i think that does a good job of that of being an insanely 
goofy film, but also having a, a bit of heart at its core. And that movie didn't never found an audience really either. Maybe a cult audience. Well, I think also as, as we talk through a lot of uh, these films in this particular season, whenever you take a character like uh, Mary Catherine Gallagher or, you know, Wayne or any of the other people that we're going to talk through, it reminded me of other movies that have attempted this to some degrees of success, whether it's, you know, Pee Wee Herman or Ernest P. Worrell you know, Elvira took a turn at that, where you sort of take these living cartoon characters and try to put them into a, a much bigger motion picture. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I think that with Mary Catherine Gallagher, where, you know, the, the staples of that sketch were, you know, her falling backwards and crashing into chairs. There was her, you know, putting her fingers in her armpits and smelling it. Right. And then the usage of monologues from usually made for TV movies that she would use to express herself. And then lastly, the kind of dropping to one knee and saying superstar. And those are really the four things that you got in every single sketch. And I think in this movie, they check all those boxes, but they're really not necessary to the film. In fact, I think you could watch this movie having never seen any of the Saturday Night Live sketches and the thing would make complete sense. And I don't think you can say that for a lot of the other movies that we're going to be discussing. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's very much the journey of this character and and they flesh her out in a number of ways that I think are interesting. Speaking of, where we are in the film after she saves the kid at the pool, the young kid that she saves has a birthmark that she says, hey, that birthmark looks like shit. See, I thought it looked like a jellyfish, but I don't know, maybe when she makes a number two, it you know it's less, I don't know, cylindrical, and, and maybe it's more of a scatter plot. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, pooping is basically nature's Rorschach test. Right. You know it's I mean? just a lot of yogurt, not a lot of protein. <laughs> In the pool, there are no lifeguards around. Like one kid can hit another kid. And that kid, when he sinks to the bottom of that pool, he's head first. And she's the one pulling him out. There's no other adults. It, doing my quick back of the napkin math here, that would be around 1987, which does feel a little bit late for parents not caring about their children's safe. You, you kind of associate that with pre-1980 parenting, where <laughs> sort of all bets were off. It was just like, look, just get get the fuck outside, and I hope you make it back by six. <laughs> Nobody had been snatched, no, no young white boy or girl had been snatched in a high profile enough way that the country thought, hey, maybe we should actually pay attention to where our, uh, our offspring are roaming. <laughs> Mary Catherine Gallagher starts talking about the hometown that she grew up in and the name of the city that she is, uh, uh residing in is Bessemi Heights. Which is Spanish for kiss me. Yeah, that's nice. Especially when you know that kind of the theme of the film is that. It's like, hey, that, that's kind of clever. Well done, superstar. I, when I saw that, I, I had the same thought. I was like, wait a minute, what's going on? People are putting thoughts into this. You know, there's the, there's some intelligence in some of the subtle jokes. It's not just, you know, people getting, you know, kicked in the dick and pointing their dick at other people. And I don't know, doing other things that are meant to be funny with dicks. In fact, I don't think there's any dick jokes in this. Good I, for you, Superstar. Yeah, I 100% think you're right. dick free and proud of it. I think the closest you you get is the the gay kid kissing the other kid. That's it. Tom Green's a dick in this. He's <laughs> yeah, he's terrible. Well, we'll get to him in a second. So all right, so during the narration, she and and this is a very fairy tale kind of delivery. She's saying. You know, we it, it was a, this incredibly friendly town where everyone said hello to each other. 
And we were known as the people who lived in the ugliest house with the ugliest lawn and the ugliest dog. All true. All all true. (laughs) The dog has one of my favorite gags in the film, actually. But um, you you initially see it. And it's kind of what? It's like a chihuahua, but it's shaved and kind of mangy. It has little bags on its feet. And I don't know if that's to keep the filth from the yard getting in the house or if there's just something going on with that dog's feet that is somehow contagious either to other dogs or maybe worse to other people well when we see the dog get damaged later he doesn't have Mm -hmm. the bags on the feet and he's indoors which leads me to believe that yeah it's an outdoor thing it's it's a rough animal to say the least and then she we get the reveal here that her parents were killed in uh an in an accident so she lives with her grandmother who had also been in an accident. And she says, well, you know, our family was a little bit accident prone. And her grandmother, who is, as I pointed out in the intro, the mother from the ref, is in kind of a souped up silver bullet style wheelchair. It's a nice wheelchair. It's like <laughs> it could, it's a wheelchair that can drag a priest around. That's the kind of shit I see where I'm like, maybe I'm done with walking. Maybe that's it. <laughs> you know, you you put a toilet in that. You got a new business on your hands right there, man. <laughs> Billion dollar idea. It's pick six registered. The the grandma, uh, she uses one of those like uh, gremlin stair chairs that takes people from one level of the house to the next. And I have never understood this device at all. If you're in a wheelchair, why would you want to have a two-story house? But maybe you had the house and then you got in the wheelchair. So you can't sell it. It's a buyer's market or something. And what would be upstairs that you need so bad that you would need to put this in to go up and down? What if it breaks while you're on it and you're alone? And like, and what if gremlins get into it? Then, <laughs> yeah. I think I we know the answer then, to that. And, and then if you, you're on that thing and you die and then they find you, it's not going to be pretty. <laughs> it's just going to be a mess. Well, I mean, initially I would start using it for funsies. Uh, it wouldn't be a, a must kind of situation, but eventually that lifestyle would lead to a must situation. I feel <laughs> you think that would include putting railing all around your house to where <laughs> it's essentially just like a human transport <laughs> upstairs, downstairs, all right? Like all one around. of those kids games where the hook drops down it just picks me up by the scruff <laughs> takes me to the couch and whatnot so uh her grandmother wants uh mary Catherine gallagher uh to be a businesswoman but all mary Catherine gallagher wants to do is to get a big hollywood fireworks kiss she de- decides that uh through watching old hollywood movies that the only way to get this kind of kiss is to become a hollywood superstar uh always a good plan and uh, a good lesson for kids is to uh, pursue Mar- the craziest dream you have. Mary Catherine Gallagher reminds me a lot of Tina Belcher from Bob's Burgers. Mm-hmm. In that, like, these are both characters that are, you know, to put it politely, driven by a desire to kiss a boy. And you know, you can question their behavior in pursuit, you know, of these goals. However, their focus and passion. It's something that, that you can't really deny. And these are characters, they I don't know, at their core, they know what they want and they're driven to achieve it, you know, kind of by any means necessary. I don't know. It's, it's, it's no different than, say, like an elite Olympic athlete or like the criminally insane celebrity stalkers. You know, they know what they want and they go after it. Yeah. Go getters among us. That's one of the things that I think makes this movie competent. Is that from the first 10 minutes, she states what it is she wants, what her goal is. And the last scene of this movie 
is about that. That feels like, like smart people at work. And again, something we haven't <laughs> seen in a while. And also the central conflict, right? It, which is her grandmother doesn't want her to, uh, to pursue the arts of any kind. He, uh, she wants her to be a businesswoman. And then when we go to the next scene, which is her at uh, St. Monica's is the name of the school. She's at, she's praying to be a superstar, but we get kind of a quick montage of her saying like, I tried out for every club that could help me on my journey to be a star. She's in the ballet class and, and kicks the nun in the face. There's the, the requisite uh, Mary Catherine Gallagher Pratt fall when she's talking about trying out for gymnastics. And, and it's actually a pretty good Pratt fall. She like, she has a little, a little whiff of Chevy Chase in her of being able to yeah. fumble in a way that keeps it going that I really like. I like how in this movie, the casting of all the characters are so far beyond the years of what yes. they should be playing. I mean, it reminded me a little bit of, of wet, hot American summer where, I mean, everyone is in their mid to late thirties playing, I don't know, like, like 16, 17, 18 year olds. That in and of itself really uh, struck me as being incredibly funny. And we'll touch on a, all of these as we go, <laughs> we go through this movie, but they're, they're nowhere close to being in high school. I think the closest <laughs> is maybe Tom Green, or at least looks the closest, but yeah, yeah. like Molly Shannon and Will Ferrell and, um, all of them look like they're at a high school reunion, not high school. I also like that for Mary Catherine Gallagher, if this movie had uh, taken place today, she would be on YouTube. You know, oh, that, yeah. that's the whole thing. Like that would have been her outlet. But the fact that the internet and social media and all this wasn't around, it almost provides this like postmodern Norman Rockwell quality to the movie that, you know, I don't know, when you look at the time that it took place, it was a simpler, more wholesome era, you know, when Bill Clinton was president. <laughs> right so in this moment chad we meet mary Catherine gallagher's big rival who is uh avion they're getting changed after the gymnastics class mary Catherine gallagher is making uh no attempt to hide the fact that she's kind of staring at avian's body reflected on like she's a beautiful woman and it you know it goes into the character of mary Catherine gallagher that she feels inferior and and so forth avian has two pals summer and autumn elaine hendrix who played avian was 28 years old when they made this movie uh, this, mo this, <laughs> this movie's all right <laughs> it really is uh, and avian is, is constantly doing things to uh what raise awareness for all these causes which again if you're gonna have a, a villain in a movie or an antagonist wouldn't uh raising money for charity make you a good person i mean she's kind of doing this for altruistic reasons have you, have you ever organized a 5k dude it's a lot of work and she's doing multiple of these things at once that's to be applauded not condemned even if she's doing it because she's trying to make herself look better come on man she's raising money for people that need it yeah, I mean, there's got to be people out there like her, because God knows it ain't ever going to come out of me. <laughs> like, I don't care what her reasons are for it. Like, she's going to get the trains to run on time. Evian calls out Mary Catherine uh, for looking at her in her sexy underwear. And uh, she tells her, you know, that she's never going to need a bra. Mary Catherine Gallagher walks over, and she then thumps Evian in her left breast. To which Evian responds, ow, you hurt my titty. <laughs> this yeah. was the first laugh out loud moment in the movie. It was a combination of her retaliation of this girl being mean to her was to thump her on her breast 
And it was the use of that word titty. Mary Catherine Gallagher in this moment, like when Avian confronts her about the titty thump, um, which is, I'm sure I was described in the script. Have you ever put those two words together in your life until just a few seconds ago? Uh, no, I don't think I have. I think that may be blazing a new trail. Good for you. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's fun to try new things. <laughs> yeah. Words are a good time. You better uh, work tomorrow. Thump somebody in the titty. That's what we call a titty thump. Spread it around, <laughs> uh, but the, it's the, like the, it's the new AL, it's the new ice bucket challenge. Like I challenge the following three people to thump someone on the titty. Sure, like t- <laughs> uh, titty thump for hepatitis or something. It's got to be breast cancer. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think that might invite some thumping that maybe the good folks behind breast cancer awareness would not appreciate. No, I think anybody who does that's going to go to jail <laughs> eventually. Uh, the other thing about this moment that made me laugh, though, uh, the, the titty, like, you heard my titty is funny. It, it reminds me of, uh, that scene in California with Brad Pitt where he tells Julia Lewis to put her titty back up. It's that kind of stuff that sticks with me, Chad. Uh, yeah, whenever I, um, hear anything about the singer Adele, my brain immediately says, Adele, put your titty away. <laughs> and then, uh, and then I immediately go to, what kind of cuckoo brain carries a cactus around in her purse? And then I listen to whatever, you know, beautiful singing that's coming out of Adele's mouth. A genuinely talented performer. One of the best singers of of a generation. And every you're right. Every time I hear the name, it's put your titty in. Uh, uh, California aside, what I was saying earlier, Chad, the thing that I really like about the tail end of this scene is that Mary Catherine Gallagher's reaction to it is always this sort of unnecessarily hostile but very quiet confrontation, you know, like she immediately backs down. It's like, Oh no, I thought there was something there and doesn't push it. The thing I kind of like about this character is you always feel like she's a hair trigger away from kind of losing her shit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's also something to that sort of quiet aggression that you noted, but there's also accompaniment apology that goes along with that, that she will under her breath say, you know, I'm sorry. She's not a, an aggressive, angry person or malicious i mean she's a just a good-hearted individual right and there there's kind of a heartbreaking moment we'll get to later where she kind of has this moment of self-awareness about about how she comes across to people and it's it's very sad but um but then happy because that's how these movies work and (laughs) that's the formula yeah you gotta do that uh i mean (laughs) hey this movie isn't isn't breaking any molds it just happens to work. <laughs> right. So so we we find out where uh, Mary Catherine Gallagher works, which I think is also a funny gag, which is she works at Kip's Video Warehouse where she's the rewind girl. So when people put movies in the shoots, she rewinds them. And as a result, she spends all her time watching movies. She says that people say that she started to look like characters in the movies, which is what she wanted, right? She wanted to be glamorous. Except they were they said that the movie she most resembled was Carrie. She also kind of puts a positive spin on that by saying, starring Academy Award winner Sissy Spacek. When she's in the rewind room, she's watching Carrie in this first scene, and it's very quick. This movie, Superstar, doesn't call much attention to the fact that she's watching Carrie. I mean, if you didn't know the movie, you wouldn't, there's not like a big, you know, hit you over the head, like pay attention to this. It's much more subtle. 
And the way that this is paid off later on in the film, it's really well done. Because the next scene, we have Mary Catherine Gallagher and her grandmother. They're eating dinner on TV trays. One of the things throughout this is that Mary Catherine Gallagher, during that montage you mentioned where she does the pratfall and the high kick, she's constantly wearing like old lady knitted shawls on her shoulder. And you can just see the influence, you know, of her grandmother in all of these different moments. But <laughs> in this scene, they're ha they're having they're having dinner together, and they're eating spaghetti and salad and some kind of orange drink, which was odd to me. Well, and another genuine laugh I have in this movie is when her grandmother finally says, "Mary, what are you doing?" And she says, "You know, I'm I'm using my telekinetic powers like Carrie." And her grandmother's response is. All right. You know, I mean, it's completely nonplussed by it. Mary Catherine goes to confession with Father John, who's played by Jerry Bamman, who will forever and always be the verbally abusive uncle from Home Alone. Um, I don't know why. It's the only movie I really know him from in this. I was like, oh, yeah, that's the, the shitheaded uncle who, you know, yells at Kevin McAllister a lot. During this, this is, again, one of those scenes where you got to check those boxes to uh, make sure that people who came wanting to see an overblown version of the Saturday Night Live sketch that we're going to get that because uh, Mary Catherine uses a monologue from the movie Sybil starring Sally Field as part of her confession. And this um, sort of culminates into her sort of screaming and yelling and, and being very physical, which uh, Molly Shannon is many times throughout this film. And she sort of crashes out through the confessional booth and she's screaming the word slut over and over. It's not an overly funny moment in this movie. It really, to me, felt like you sort of have to do this because the audience is expecting. Although when she comes exploding out of the confessional booth, riding that door... I was like, that's a funny stunt, you know, and be, yeah. it, it, it's because Molly Shannon is is funny. And, and so even though you're right, I don't think all the yelling the slut thing is all that funny, but like the physicality that she brings to, to these scenes still kind of cracks me up. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. But it's one of those scenes in it that um, because of the tone that's set up until this point, when this happens, it feels very just different. And when, you know, and, and again, had you not seen the sketch, you wouldn't really know where this is coming from. So we we start to get to the the heart of our, our story here. Uh, as Mary Catherine Gallagher, uh, after the confessional scene, says the the kids uh, didn't call her a superstar, and she she walks down the hallway, and the names that they call her, Chad, are <laughs> <laughs> one of them I think is very funny: Lesbo, uh, Panty Stain, Dogface, Skidmark, and my personal favorite, Nipple Hair. <laughs> Some guy in the background, he yells out, did I say Lesbo? Right. I, I was like, one, pay attention to the names you're calling people. And then on top of that, I was like, boy, this does not age well at all. I don't know what high school's like right now, but just like, hey, Lesbo. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. I mean, it, it's certainly of a time. You wouldn't see that now. But but uh, her reaction to it is just to turn around and say, you know, did you know that you're all glue and I'm rubber? And just like very awkwardly delivers this joke. And it's very <laughs> funny, actually. It's it's a really good gag. It is. I found it to be an incredibly funny bit. I, well, it's all in her performance. And it's tough to talk about here because it's like you, you kind of have to see her do it. And I think we would both say, like, if you've never seen Superstar, give it a spin because you might just like it. The hallway has completely humiliated her to the entrance of the man she wants to kiss 
which has a great name. It's Will Ferrell as Sky Corrigan, uh, who she describes <laughs> as the best dancer in the school. And we have a cutaway to him introducing a dance that he calls the pepper shaker. And it's pretty funny. I actually, there are two Will Ferrell performances in this film. And I find this one to be the less enjoyable. I will uh, try to to change your mind. Not that it's less enjoyable, but equally enjoyable. One of the things I want to go back to um, that I noted earlier is that this character reminds me a lot, again, of Tina Belcher from Bob's Burgers. And in that show, her object of her affection is a guy who is a dancer and loves to dance. And in this, Sky is a character who loves to dance. And as I watched, I was like, this is, this is unusual. I was like, I don't know if this is just one of those JFK Abraham Lincoln things, where if you start to look for similarities, you're going to start to find them. But it really stood out to me in this scene where we first meet sky. And this is at a time, again, I went back to look sort of when Will Ferrell started being in movies. It wasn't at a point where Will Ferrell needed to be the star. I mean, it wasn't over the top Will Ferrell where he, you know, kind of explodes and is just this, this larger than life character. And both of his roles in this movie are very understated. When we meet Sky and he's coming down and he's making these compliments and comments to people, he compliments one guy's shoes and he says, dig the sneaks. And then he says, hey, Debbie, hey, he says, hey, Debbie, shave your legs. And then, again, it's a compliment. And he goes, hey, Tom, sorry, your dad's dead. <laughs> that that got me that line made me laugh pretty hard and he's not a bad guy in this movie in fact i don't think that there are many bad characters in this meaning just sort of like you know sinister there's a little bit of that we'll touch on but for the most part they're all you know genuinely you know well-meaning people yeah like his character <laughs> in this movie though is just so stupid uh mary Catherine gallagher sees Skye and Avian, who are a couple, kiss. Then we go to her pretending that it's after a date. Yeah, Mary Catherine is having this conversation yes. with what we assume is a, a person, and it turns out to be a tree. And it's, again, it's it's just the performance. It's the level of detail in the way that she's kind of flirtily touching the tree. She's like, stop it. No, you stop it. Being flirty with the tree, <laughs> I guess. It's it's incredibly funny. And then this also had a, a, a throwback to me to Wet Hot American Summer, where uh, Molly Shannon, you know, played that kindergarten, like either, I don't say like a teacher, but the camp counselor for, for very young children. And, you know, and in that movie, you know, she's having a similar relationship, but this is with five to seven year old. Right. Maybe that's, maybe that's, if you feel like, you know, watching a 30 something year old woman pretend to be an 18 year old who's having an intimate relationship with a tree is a bridge too far, go watch Wet Hot American Summer and you'll realize, hey, I should have stuck around with, <laughs> with Superstar. Yeah. It's a very funny bit and, and, uh, a nun breaks it up. Mary Catherine has her leg around the tree and she, <laughs> And she, thre she threatens to spank the tree. She's like, I'm going to spank you. And there's this nun watching. And I think this nun liked it. She knows when Mary Catherine is going to go talk to her tree boyfriend. She's just like standing there just soaking it all in. And she looks shocked, but she's not. She, she, she's, she's not shocked at all. No, she's seen it all before. <laughs> you were in a co-ed Catholic high school. I bet you see some things by sheer happenstance. So this nun takes Mary Catherine to the head priest, who's played by Mark McKinney. He is one of my favorite characters in this film, just because of his uh, performances. Earlier, we see him singing and Mark McKinney's, he's singing off key and loudly. <laughs> 
And that was just another <laughs> little brushstroke of this. I was like, that is really funny. And he's not really singing the words along with everyone else. So <laughs> I was just like, look, how do you take this and just really make it unique and laughable as opposed to something that could just be passively boring? When they take him into the head priest, um, they go in and uh, he tells Mary Catherine that she's special and that she's now going to be in special ed. Look, I don't know how often that line has been used on you know, <laughs> kids throughout the, you know, the years of academia, but it definitely felt like something that was uh, pretty well worn out, or at least worn in. I got a laugh out of me, Chad. Uh, when when his delivery of, you're a special girl, Mary, so special, we're going to put you in special ed. I, I agree. I think Mark McKitty is very funny as as Father Ridley in in this film. Uh, also, I, I think it's gotta be fun for him to some degree to have Bruce McCullough behind the camera and they've got to have that shorthand of, Hey, I want to play a little bit with this scene or here's a line that I think would be funny. I think he sh- kind of shines in this movie. I like his big bushy eyebrows in this movie a lot too. I think that's funny. I wholeheartedly agree with that. So in, in this scene is the first time, uh, we get maybe the, the, First of, I think, two times where Mary Catherine puts her fingers in her armpits and smells them. And again, it really feels out of place unless you know the source material, which, again, the majority of people who saw this knew the source material and they wanted to hear her, you know, say that, you know, Mark McKinney looks at her and is like, you know, kind of raises an eyebrow. She then goes to the special ed class where she meets um, Helen, who is played by Emmy Laybourne. She is currently an accomplished writer of the young adult series uh, Monument 14, which I did not know until you know I started uh, poking around on uh, the internet uh, answer box. Her character of Helen in this is this athlete-ish character. I mean, she's not like a, a superstar athlete, but she's kind of this weird, tweaky, brawny teenage girl. She is giggly and enthusiastic and strong as a fucking ox. Yeah, and her, her face spasms, and she's got this great set of just pronounced braces. I love her in this movie. I think she is such a fun, energetic character and, and makes a nice foil to Mary Catherine Gallagher, who's much more reserved and withdrawn until she has those moments moments of of kind of combustion in this film yeah she definitely has her back and pushes her in the right direction where i don't know that mary catherine would have have gone that on her own so so in special ed um there's a kind of a you know sort of rogues gallery of characters that we don't even really need to name there's a guy who always pretends to be on drugs there's a goth chick um, there's, uh, one guy who thinks that, you know, all the, the girls want to have sex with him, but coupled with that, all of the, the guys around him are gay. Another guy who's OCD, who has to do everything five times. And it later turns out that this character is gay. So he's a gay guy who has to do everything five times all the time, which I'm going to let, you know, you do the math on that one. Talk but, about your cheap the- dates. <laughs> Or invite over some friends. I don't. I don't know how <laughs> oh, all that works out. <laughs> so the guy who thinks um, everybody's gay tells the the OCD guy who who is gay. He tells him to stop uh, looking at him because he doesn't play butt darts. In my brain, just the synapse fired that when I heard the phrase butt darts, I immediately thought about blood sucking freaks. When that dwarf Ralphus, Ralphus yeah, yeah, with his master, <laughs> and he's throwing darts. I think it was a woman's bare ass. Maybe that's what he's talking about. But I was like, nah, he's talking about anal sex. The the thing that this scene reminds me of more than anything 
is the first scene where we introduce all the soldiers in stripes with uh sergeant holka and we get like francis and john candy and you know like everybody is kind of introducing themselves to some degree helen does most of the heavy lifting in this scene as far as describing people this is where we get tom green his first real appearance in the movie and he shows up at the door of the classroom which has all these window panes and he bangs a piece of paper on it that says retard class and he holds it up to the window and i mean he screams out retard how he isn't in this class himself is beyond me i think that's the irony of the character really <laughs> i just don't think they can catch him i think he just like runs off like he's so skinny and you know like wily like when they try to take him to the head priest office he he just starts you know pissing himself and and flailing about and they're just like you know what that's more trouble than it's worth like he does this goofy thing with lettuce here in a few a, an adult needs to be paying attention to you here's where we get to meet uh the character slater who when he enters this classroom he peels off the piece of paper that says retard class that was left by tom green and he, you know, we find out that he's a student in this class. In my opinion, that piece of paper doesn't really instill any real sense of, I don't know, self-confidence or worth. If I'm going into a class that's defined as the retard class, you know, am I in the right place? Oh, yes, yes. I, I'm looking at an easy oh, okay. semester. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Time to kick the feet up, Chad. So so Slater <laughs> walks in. And when he, when he walks in, I assumed that he was going to be this rogue teacher that pulls some sort of dangerous <laughs> sure. mind, stand and deliver, school of rock kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I did too. But no, no, no. That's not the case. Okay. He's just another one of these misfits, you know, for the classroom. And uh, Slater doesn't talk. And he transferred from public school. And yeah, it's Harlan Williams, who uh, you might remember from their, what There's Something About Mary is what I probably know him best for. This is a very subdued performance from him and i like it i i like it way more than i like him being kind of goofy I, I mean he's funny and there's something about mary but he is a nice spice in a movie but i don't want to see harlan williams featured films yeah this isn't a, a typical harlan williams performance again it is incredibly understated which again good for you Bruce McCullough for directing people as opposed to just, you know, get out there and improv and make shit up and chomp your gum and, <laughs> and all of that kind of bullshit. Say something funny. That's what we're paying you for. <laughs> <laughs> we got to retire that laugh sometimes. I, I know, I know. Not. The thing that I also like about this character is that, like, he is a, a character straight out of The Outsiders or something. And the rumor is that he is transferred to this school because he murdered someone. Yeah, he murdered his parents. Yeah. That's the rumor. Yeah, yeah, he killed his parents, and so everyone is terrified of him. Keeping with the theme of this film, eh, maybe not so much. Stick around, listeners. You might just learn something. <laughs> and so in our next scene, we uh, we hear about this talent show contest that's being sponsored by Catholic Teen Magazine. The winner will receive a trip to Hollywood and a chance to be an extra in a movie with positive moral values. They say this two or three times, and it, it's a funny joke. It, the way that we hear about this is that uh, Helen is outside with uh, Mary Catherine, and she goes, hey, look at that banner they're unfurling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I really like the fact that in the previous scene, Helen was immediately like, can we be best friends? And Mary Catherine's like, okay, you know, like, well, like I don't have anybody else but you. Well, the way she puts it is, you know, maybe, but right now you're throwing a lot of energy at me. <laughs> and it, it's making me feel a little anxious. And But in this scene, it's like, oh, okay, they're best friends now. And, and Helen. Yeah, th and that's fine. Yeah, perfectly all right. Like, again, all, we're, hey, people, we're in and out of this thing. 
in under 85 minutes. We're not, there ain't no fat on, on any of these scenes. No, our conversation will be longer than this movie. Unfortunately, it, it or almost, fortunately, depending upon how much you enjoy hearing us talk about it, <laughs> it almost has to be Mary Catherine Gallagher starts having this fantasy about being, you know, an extra in a, a Hollywood movie with positive moral values. Well, she gets, you get a chance, a chance to be an extra. Right. I don't think that you're going to be an extra. I think there's a chance that you might be an extra. I don't think anything's guaranteed. And I don't, and also it's, it's worth noting that the talent contest is a fundraiser to fight VD. Right. And, and so she has this fly, uh, not a flashback, but just this dream sequence, the, this, uh, fugue state, she goes into where she imagines walking the red carpet with reporters like what's it like to be a hollywood extra and and the things get progressively weirder that people have like somebody is handing her a cake one of the reporters is a child it, it's just one of these <laughs> moments that that you're like this is just weird and, and kind of great so we're, we're at the end of act one because uh, mary Catherine gallagher has figured out what she has to do to become a superstar to get sky to kiss her act one is complete i i gotta tell you it's just so nice to be yeah here it is right right there end of act one okay act two on our way. And so she says she wants to dance with Sky, who is showing off uh, his new dance, the fax machine. Anyway, and Helen is saying, like, look, um, Avian is going to dance with him at the talent show. And as she says this, Avian does the fax machine with Sky. In the distance, we see Slater revving his motorcycle and driving off. Then there's a- another line that, that kind of makes me laugh where, uh, Helen says, I want, you know, where would he do in the talent show? And <laughs> Mary says, Oh, he'd probably just, you know, kidnap women and skin them and wear their skin. Sorry, I just watched Silence of the Lambs. And again, kind of makes me laugh. I know it's an easy reference, but you make a Buffalo Bill reference in your movie and I'm kind of there. So Mary Catherine Gallagher and her grandma are eating dinner on uh, TV trays again. And they're having the same food, which I wasn't sure if this meant to show that they do the same thing over and over again, or if they just shot all of these scenes on the same day. That doesn't really matter. (laughs) It works either way. And she asks her grandma if she can be in the talent contest, and her grandmother uh, emphatically says no. So Mary Catherine Gallagher prays to God to let her win the contest so that she can kiss Skye. She doesn't want to win to be famous. She wants to win so that she can have a kiss of true love. And as we've touched on, that's really the heart of this movie. That is what is driving um, our main character to pretty much do everything that that she does. Again, it's impressive. This movie has an engine and it runs. Yeah, we go to communion where Mark McKinney as Father Ridley is doling out the communion wafers. And during the communion, Mary Catherine Gallagher and Helen are sitting together and Mary tells Helen... Her grandmother is not going to let her in the talent show. But Helen says, you know, you should. But, you know, I know you're down. So that means it's time for supermodel documentary hour to cheer you up. And that's where we go into this other sort of dream sequence where they're literally doing a document, like a supermodel documentary and adopting these different accents. And Helen's is like this French model accent or character that I think is really funny. Yeah, I, I again, one of those moments where it's totally absurd out of the blue, but I kind of dug it. Yeah, this one didn't work as well for me. What I didn't like about this scene is that it disrupts the storyline that's moving along 
just for this weird aside and then jumps back in. It doesn't really add more to the the characters or what's going on. It, it maybe it shows that they're they're becoming, you know, closer friends, but it didn't make me laugh as as hard as it made you laugh. Uh, but you've yeah. always liked people pretending to be supermodels. For the, all the years I've known you, that's something that always tickles your funny bone. Yeah, it's on my Facebook profile. Um, <laughs> it's on my LinkedIn page. So as a skill, giggling at people pretending to be supermodels. Uh huh. Oh, I'll, I'll cheer. You're hired, sir. Yeah, I'll cheer up a corporate retreat. Sky comes into the video store, and as you noted earlier, he kind of wanders into the back room where Mary Catherine is. I just want to. There is a slide in this room where the tapes, you know, like a shoot that comes down where she's going to rewind them. Uh huh. And here's the thing. And so I just want to map this out. This means that there. Uh, is an upstairs to this video store. But as an establishing shot, we see that this video store is in like a like a strip mall. So we're down in the the basement. I don't know about you, but every video store that I ever went into that had a basement that it looked it had a it had a door and there was usually a sign that said you must be 18 or over to enter. And that's essentially where all the porno and accompanying perverts were wandering. Uh-huh. It always smelled a little weird, sure. It was always a bonus when you saw somebody you knew coming out of that. Like, you know, like as, as a younger kid, like it was usually somebody that you knew that was a like a substitute teacher. Sure, yeah. You know? hey, <laughs> hey, Coach <laughs> Anderson, like a, what like are a, you doing here? Like a, oh, you like got the ju- red case, huh? I thought that was the bathroom. I, oh, my goodness. You're like, why well, are your pants a little wet? Oh, goodness me. Uh, I'll, I'll see you in gym class. Uh huh. After you get done cranking it. Am I right, coach? <laughs> High five, buddy. <laughs> yeah, you kind of got one over on him at that point. You've, you've leveled the playing field because, especially in high school, you're jerking off so much, just knowing an adult is doing it is kind of comforting. Yeah, there was always an eyebrow raise. Like the two of you were like, like we're good, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> like a sting touch of the nose. <laughs> Give him a gift certificate at Christmas just to rub it in like that <laughs> son of a Only good for adult videos. <laughs> so uh, Mary Catherine uh, and Sky are in the back room, and they realize that they have this common love of made-for-TV movies. They talk about uh, The Boy in the Bubble starring John Travolta. It's also interesting, earlier Mary Catherine is listening to an album about etiquette, about how to shake hands and introduce ourselves, and uh, she does this with Sky. She looks him in the eye, she shakes his hand, and it just sort of shows that, you know, she's really trying to do everything she can to make the stars align, to have all of this come together. Evian shows up and interrupts the moment, and then, you know, like you said, Sky kind of wanders off and, and leaves, and, you know, Mary Catherine is, is there still dreaming of this first kiss. Up to and including watching the scene in the boy in the plastic bubble and quoting along with the movie up to the scene where John Travolta kisses the girl through the plastic and whatnot. And as creepy as that sounds, as you say that out loud, it's not in this movie. This scene, it works. You just sort of see this awkward, weird, let's call it, quote, teenage girl in in quotes, (laughs) who's just wanting this intimate Hollywood fireworks kiss i found it to be so wonderfully charming yeah it's it's and the character as you were saying is not a passive character like she is trying her damnedest to succeed in proof of that the next scene we come to is her doing the robot outside school where helen finds her yeah the mean girls show up yep and and they tell her she's not a superstar because she super sucks 
And then this is where when Helen tells Evian to go shock your boyfriend's ding a I don't even know if you can do that or not. And that made me laugh. And so there's a back and forth. And then Helen, again, because she's kind of this, this brawny character, she tells Evian, um, or she, she yells at Evian. She goes like, you're a super ass. And then Mary Catherine goes, she does have a super ass. <laughs> so she's walking yeah. away. It reminded me a little bit of, uh, here's a movie no one saw, Pitch Perfect 2. Well, the the one running gag of that movie that was pretty good was uh, Anna Kendrick being weirdly obsessed with the German dancer. Dude, they made a Pitch Perfect 3. A lot of people saw that movie. At fair enough. I wasn't one of them. So <laughs> um, we also have a moment here after the confrontation with the Mean Girls where Mary bu- literally bumps into Slater and drops her books and spills them out. And he's trying to help her, but she's like hurriedly collecting all her stuff because, again, she thinks he's a murderer and she rushes away. And we see that Slater has her journal, which he he presses to his nose and inhales deeply like a lover. Again, when you say it like that, it sounds really creepy. But in this movie, (laughs) it's not. I mean, it's not as it's not as bad as you're describing it. I also uh, like that Slater wears that shark tooth around his neck. I think it's a shark tooth or something. <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah. And then later we find out that that's that's how his parents were killed. Which you know, I don't know if that's honoring them or just having an ever present reminder of you know how not to get past the most horrific moment in your life. But <laughs> either way, yeah, it's just you survived it. We cut to the school cafeteria where Tom Green gets to show off his dumb acidness when he, as you mentioned earlier, he throws bowls of salad at the special ed class and then he screams at them, What are you going to do about it? Do you want some of my salad all over your retard face? And then he dumps salad on his own head and he's just laughing maniacally. Here's the thing about the, the use of the word retard in this film. Normally, I might bristle at that a little bit. But I think the the reason this movie kind of gets away with it a, a little bit more, one, you know, again, different time, but also it's the the worst character in the movie is the one who calls them retard. This is clearly, this is someone who has fallen through the cracks of the Catholic school system. I mean, you know, it's like, like, just keep, keep, keep pushing them to the next grade. Somebody else's problem next year. <laughs> yeah. He, yeah. He's a real maniac in this movie, but you know, I think it, this is the one instance where I Bruce McCullough feels like he was just just do your Tom Green thing. Maybe Bruce, maybe Bruce wasn't there. Maybe like you know, like like, like the assistant like, director was there that day. We we only had three bowls of salad. He threw all three of them in the first take. That's it. I'm out. Bruce, come back. Not till he stops throwing salad. Um, <laughs> you know, he probably got pissed off because of the whole cabbage head thing, and he was like, "I'm not doing this." Right. You know, this is an offense to me and my craft. I made Cabbage Head a character. (laughs) So Mary Catherine tells Helen that she uh, secretly wants to kiss Skye. And Helen tells Mary Catherine, she's like, that she she tells Mary Catherine uh, she should kiss Howard, who is the guy who thinks all the girls want to have sex with him. And uh, uh, Mary Catherine looks over at Howard and he's cupping two oranges in each hand and he proceeds to massage them like, you know, their women's breast on his own chest. I just point of order howard will never have non-paid sex with a woman or just maybe anybody but uh mary Catherine looks back at him and she holds a banana in her hands and she just crushes it like a dick into this mashy pulpy mess it's funny uh-huh it, yeah it's a good is that, gag is that a dick joke there, okay there was yeah, a dick joke there is this. a dick joke there you go. but and it's, it's funny it yeah and it's a good dick joke 
because it's coming from the other direction. One of the things I like about this movie is that it doesn't feel like it was written and directed by a fraternity house. That it feels like there's really thoughtfulness in everything that happens, and as well as a little bit of of heart, as we said. Uh, After she shuts Howard down, um, Sky enters and and, and approaches Mary and says, uh, you know, I saw you doing the robot earlier. You got some nice moves. <laughs> Will Ferrell in this role as just this this dum dum is really funny. And and so we have a big dance number, which I actually it's not my favorite scene in the movie. I, I think it's a little long, but I think it's also pretty good. I just don't like dance numbers in movies very much. Everybody in this dance number is totally committed to the dance number. Uh-huh. They're doing it so seriously. None of them look like they're having fun. They look like they're being judged on poise, uh performance, consistency with their fellow dancers. I thought it was probably in my opinion one of the funnier dream sequences in this of watching this entire room do kind of what looks like this improv everywhere moment but it's i don't know it's all in her head again i thought it was funny and the second the second or third time i watched it i tried to see if i could find tom green in there and i couldn't because i think that they just kicked him off the set because i think if he had been there he would have just been bouncing around like a pinball screaming retard and slapping everybody or something right like get my head a lettuce put him in a corner he's, he's a real shithead in this movie and i don't think that that was because of the character i just think tom green just might just be a shithead yeah or or was maybe during that time. I could see him being a much more chill guy these days, maybe. But maybe, I don't man, know. Eh, you know, you live and learn. But so, uh, but it turns so, out this was all a big, you know, fantasy that she was having. That obviously she didn't get to dance with Sky, and and uh, we we don't get a, a kiss there. Um, and instead, we move to I think your favorite scene, Chad. Um, this is the funniest scene in this whole movie to me. In it, Mark McKinney is, uh, as his priest, is sitting in his office, and in front of him are five pieces of toast, and it's all burnt. And then he proceeds to take these five pieces of toast and make this one of the funniest scenes in the whole movie. The first one he takes. And he cuts it into, it is so loud when he's cutting it. Then he takes a a bite of the burnt toast. And then he takes a second bite and he has to just like force the pieces back into his mouth as his body is involuntarily just rejecting it. And then (laughs) he he coughs while he's trying to chew this food. Then he just like spontaneously spits out a piece of the toast onto the table and then he he looks up and he appears to be somewhat surprised that there are five nuns sitting in his office this whole execution of saying yeah let me just give you five pieces of toast and i want you to make this funny and the first time i saw this scene i was in awe it was like watching a magician who has spent their life learning the craft of subtle sleight of hand magic and in watching him perform here i, I just I don't know. I, I just, I absolutely love this scene of watching Mark McKinney eat toast. And it lands on a good punchline too, because after his performance, which is incredibly funny in this scene, he then says, so, uh, does anyone know who broke the good toaster? Yeah. And they all, they all look at that nun who uh, watches, uh, Mary Catherine, uh, dry up trees outside. <laughs> I like the fact that it's almost like he, in the other layer to me is that he punished them by making them watch him eat this <laughs> shitty toast. I love this scene in this movie. So he, they could appreciate and, how important the good toaster was. I don't know if everybody's going to get as much out of this. That's just me, but. 
<laughs> you know, I, I'm not I'm not ashamed of that. So the next thing, Mary Catherine is getting ready for bed and she says her prayers and then she kisses a photo of her mother and her father and says goodnight. And this is a nice reminder that they are important to her and ultimately they're going to be important to the story because we haven't really talked about them too uh, very much. And, and in this scene, who shows up but God? Right. After she says goodnight to God, he shows up and is like, goodnight, Mary. And it's, it's Will Ferrell again, but he explains to her that he is a subconscious manifestation of God as she sees him. Therefore, he is a combination of like, her father and Sky, a bunch of other people, but he basically looks like Will Ferrell in a Jesus outfit. And Will Ferrell's having fun playing this role. He's playing it kind of like, you know, he's almost like a hippie. At the at the end of the there's a couple of jokes about, you know, he's like, Oh, you got a CD player. That's great. We don't have this. I see, I think <laughs> that's a genuine laugh from Molly Shannon in that scene. Be, because it is a funny line. Because the way she says, Oh, you don't. You know, like she's kind of yes anding him a little bit. <laughs> I th I think that was something that genuinely caught her off guard. But it, it's a funny line. Like, uh, yeah, we just haven't gotten him yet. And he kind of gives it a shrug like, huh, just haven't. And then he says, he the song that plays is Spirit in the Sky. And he's like, yeah, you know, that, that song's about me. <laughs> right. <laughs> so at the end of this conversation, he tells Molly Shannon that uh, she should get jiggy with it because this is 1990 something. And uh, he tells her that she should audition for the show. So if God comes down and tells you to do something um, and you're a Catholic, you're probably going to do it. After speaking with God and getting encouragement, subconscious that it may be, uh, Mary Catherine Gallagher goes to uh, the cheerleaders where the audition sign up is. Avion says as chairwoman, she can't allow Mary Catherine Gallagher to sign up to audition. She goes into a routine and then Mary just shoves her. <laughs> And then, here's another new one. Avion calls her a hymenly challenged dog, which seems rough. No pun intended. I don't even know. I don't even know what the hell that means. I, yeah. I don't, don't want to know. Just let it go. It's not good. Uh, and she also says that Mary's parents died because they were ashamed of her. Mary's. Then says, well, you were named after water. But during this scene, you know, they kind of threaten to kick each other's ass. And Molly Shannon does that thing. I, I love Molly Shannon. And she does that thing. She's like, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to kick your ass. And it's this southern redneck, you know, like, like I don't know, she channels into her, her anger. But in it, she starts um, trying to use her telekinesis. Uh, as though she were Carrie to kill Evian. And she tells her, she's like, that, you know, she's like, if she was Carrie, she's like, I would kill you with my telekinesis. And then that's when, uh, Sky wanders into the room and he hears Evian say that Mary Catherine's parents died because she was such an embarrassment. And then, you know, push comes to shove and the two of them are fighting and Mary Catherine punches Evian in, I'm guessing what the right word here should be her titties. Yeah, I mean, I it's, like, so, it's like, it's yeah. like, it's just like body blow, body blow, body blow. It's just like just like nailing her, and um, heads are hit with vases, and, and it ends with Mary Catherine just dragging uh, Evian <laughs> out of the room by her cheerleader hair. Yeah, it's pretty good. And so immediately they are taken to Father Ridley's office, where he suspends Avian for the rest of the day that she has to allow Mary Catherine to audition. Evian sticks her tongue out at Mary Catherine and uh, Mary Catherine full on grabs it. Mo Howard style. <laughs> yeah. I was expecting her to like bonk her on the head to cause even more pain, but she doesn't, but it's funny. Like grab her tongue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Avion gets suspended for, for the rest of the day. And then father Ridley is genuinely trying to help Mary in this scene. I, I want to pause for a second here. So father Ridley's Mark McKinney. I know we kind of, yeah. you know, go back and forth with all this, but 
when he sits down to talk to Mary Catherine, he sits on his desk and he says, Miss Galgit. And then he realizes there's a large statue of an angel blocking his vision of her on the other side of his desk. And he has to scoot it over. And again, this was just one of those moments. I was like, this is really funny. I'm like, I need to have this serious conversation. Like Miss Galligan, scrape. <laughs> yeah. And then he starts his sentence over. It's subtle, but it's, it's funny. <laughs> He's trying to, to tell her like, you know, what can you do? What can we do to help you? And she says, uh, well, Obviously, I think the best way to express myself is through a scene from Portrait of a Centerfold. And her grandmother arrives in time to see uh, Mary Catherine at the point in the scene where she is ripping over open her top, which Mark McKinney is trying to pull closed. And so at the moment of her entry, it looks like he's feeling her out. Yeah, it's a real kind of threes company moment. But, you know, look, at the very least, one, she's a girl. He's a Catholic priest. It could have been worse. It could have been a dude and, you know, grabbing his dick or something. Yeah, the Boston Globe knocking at his door. (laughs) (laughs) So grandmother comes in. Instead of being upset with uh, Mary Catherine, she, uh, she defends her. And she says that she's a star, that, you know, if the Lord gave her this much uh, energy, then, you know, there's a purpose for it. And, and you know, you see Mary Catherine, rather than having her grandmother be a uh, a deterrent for her dreams of stardom, she's in support of it and is standing up for her. Yeah. And, well, Father Ridley proposes that maybe Mary needs a little Ritalin. And and the grandmother immediately rejects that. Like, absolutely not. You're not going to try to take away any of her, her energy, as you said. And 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 Mary, of course, registers like, well, this doesn't seem like the grandmother I know. Well, and then the grandmother, you know, storms or not storms off. The grandmother rolls off and ends up dragging uh, the priest down the hallway in you know comedic fashion. Again, showing off the sweet engine that she's got under the hood of this uh, Mac Daddy all-terrain wheelchair that she's rolling around in. Do you think this is like Mark Four that Gary Busey built? Like, that's just the movie we haven't seen. And he's like, I've been working on this design for years. (laughs) The reason I know that that's not the case is because there are no red flames on the side of this thing. It's it's way too subdued. No, uh, this is a senior model. We got got a whole line now. We got them for all age groups. No, there would still be red flames on the side of Gary <laughs> right, You're right. You're right. There would um, be roll bars. There'd be roll bars and like uh, nitrogen tanks strapped to the back. He didn't do it because you don't see exhaust coming out of the back. Uh, then we we get a call between Avion, uh, Autumn, and Summer, and Avion is plotting against uh, Mary Catherine. But Sky interrupts the call and says, "You know, hey, what you said today was unladylike." We should meet tomorrow at the gym. And she's like, well, what is this about? And he's like, I don't have time to talk right now. And and in a pretty good gag, she's like, you just called me. He's like, that's not the point. I'll talk to you tomorrow. And hangs up. Then we have the moment between Mary and her grandmother. And and Mary says, why, why did you tell Father Ridley that I was a star? Mary starts to lapse into another made-for-TV movie scene, and her grandmother stops her and says, I can't let you perform. Then Mary screams, runs to her, her room, 
screaming you're horrible, slamming the door again and again. I mean, this very dramatic tantrum that she has. And at this point in my notes, I, I said, you know, the problem with this movie in terms of, I, I think, of mass appeal is that the movie isn't jokes per se. It's just all performance and style to the point of Bob's Burgers. It also reminds me a fair amount of King of the Hill in terms of creating the, this world and these characters. And and nobody's really terrible. Avian is petty, but that's as bad as it gets. I feel like this movie should have gotten a little bit more traction, but also I think there's still time for that. I'm not saying that we're like tip of the spear on bringing Superstar back into the public consciousness. But if we were, am I right? That would be nice. Uh -huh. The scene you just described where she goes upstairs and she screams, you're horrible. As you described that, it sounded as though she's being this disobedient child that's being just, you know, rotten because she's not getting her way. That scene where she's yelling her grandmother, calling her horrible is incredibly funny. Molly Shannon just screaming it and yelling it and just the look on her face. And the, it's so ridiculous and over the top. And, and it's one of those, it's one of those things because she does it so many times that even when she ends the scene, you're expecting there to be yet another one. And it would have been fine if there had been another door open and door closed. She throws herself into every one. It doesn't escalate. <laughs> it's just, you know, zero to 60. And then she stays there. And again, it's what makes the character funny to me is these moments where she's awkward and nervous and quiet. And then the character explodes. And, and it's very funny. I guess grandmother, you know, three hours later makes her way upstairs via her, her, her gremlins chair. I don't know how long the that, gremlin that transfer takes. <laughs> she, she finally gets up to the top as she comes into her room and she explains to Mary Catherine why she doesn't want her to audition. And it turns out that Mary Catherine's parents were Irish step dancers who were killed in a performing accident where someone bumped the record player. Not and just someone, Chad, that someone's name was fat Teddy McGinty. <laughs> I think that's funny. <laughs> I didn't get that name. I'm glad you brought that up. Her her mother and father, they end up uh, dancing so hard that they fall to the floor and then they're crushed to death by the other dancers and blood squirts everywhere. And it's um, kind of an odd uh, scene in the movie. of just kind of seeing blood flying all over these, uh, these Irish step dancers. And uh, that's why she doesn't want her to uh, pursue the limelight. And it's worth pointing out here that the cover story for this had always been that her parents were eaten by hammerhead shark. A school of hammerhead sharks is, is right. how, it, how it's put. That was the lie that has been told to her all these years to save her from the trauma of her parents ha having been trampled to death. It's always best to tell the truth. Uh-huh. Except when you have to lie, then just lie your ass off. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially if it's convenient for you in any possible way. Right. But but what I'm saying is the truth is the way to go, except when you got to lie. Yeah. Or in cases where it just makes your life a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh <laughs> um, in our next scene, uh, Sky shows up and he's wearing a full football uniform and he's at the gym and he's there to break up with Evian, who is wearing her cheerleading outfit. And uh, Tom Green, the shithead in this movie, he's Sky's lackey. And I just want to place a bet here that in this scene, Tom Green wearing a football uniform is the one and only time in his life that Tom Green sported a football uniform. Yeah, unless it was top only and he was, you know, pantsless. <laughs> <laughs> that certainly may be the case, but I'm talking, I'm talking cleats, pants, pads, everything. Cause he looks very out of place 
um, in this scene. Like, like I don't know how this uniform works. You know? Right. And also, what, catch on fire? what position are you? Tight end, I hope. Maybe wide receiver, but certainly not defense. Holy God. No. So Sky and uh, Evian uh, break up. Um, in grand fashion and it's it's a pretty funny scene uh, the two of them of just sort of this this weird back and forth they uh, Sky's talking past her about a conversation that they never had and it's again it's sort of this weird back and forth Helen then convinces Mary Catherine to go over to Sky now that he's available Helen's always pushing Mary Catherine in the direction she needs to go so Mary Catherine just goes over and, and grabs Sky around the waist um, which drives Evian into a rage. As she's lying on the gurney with an oxygen mask on, you know, the eyes go wide and she growls. She's uh, Evian has passed out because she's so overwhelmed with the, the breakup that paramedics are called. And- right. So she's going to leave the movie for a couple of scenes. And in the meantime, uh, Sky is very put off by uh, Mary's behavior at this moment. And then we get this dream sequence that's based on the movie Armageddon. This was another one that fell flat for me. And I think that this may be, you know, somewhat of an inherent flaw of these Saturday Night Live movies, that there is this need to reference current pop culture. And again, I don't know if that's reflective of the show and how it works, but, you know, we saw this in Wayne's World. Um, we see it to some extent, you know, in this movie and, you know, it'll be determined, you know, over the the next four episodes as to whether or not this continues to be a trend of trying to mine comedy out of things that people know culturally. Well, and, you know, Mary wakes up from the, the daydream um, as uh, her boss, Kip, who I could not find who voiced Kip. I still don't know for sure. Yeah, I couldn't see that either. I also wonder the fact that you never see Kip's face. It's a little bit like home improvement you know with wilson next door but yeah it was an interesting choice and i wonder if it's like oh that was secretly kevin mcdonald or something you know i I like to believe that's true i think it was just somebody who worked on the production crew that they didn't want to pay actors wages so they just had him walk over and give her tapes and then they just dubbed over the voice with somebody else yeah some somebody one of the other actors that was a, a paid extra just went into the booth and did those lines are you are you are you sag nope that's right. You're not. Get over there. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a dirty business, Chad. We go to Sky's house, and Avian shows up there uh, to give him a stuffed bear, and his mother greets her at the door. At first, she seems a little pleased to see her, and then it's like, oh, right, they broke up. Like, because everyone knows that Sky and Avian broke up, including the mom. There is a dinner party going on at this house. One, okay? When she shows up at the house to knock on the door, she knocks on it the way like Pee Wee uh, banged on Francis's door. You know, he was real pissed off to get his bike back. I mean, it's a real like that, 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 that. I mean, it's just, it goes on and on. And during this dinner party, Sky, he's walking around wearing full on adult pajamas in the background, <laughs> eavesdropping on the conversation, going left to right, like ducks at some sort of, you know, shooting target carnival game. And it's really funny. He's like eating like, I don't know, like cake or something. Yeah. There are other people in this house that are wearing like ball gowns or. So he pretends to not be home, even as he is clearly passing back and forth across the doorway until he finally has to address Avian directly. And he says, (laughs) oh, uh, one thing I, I do want to point out his, her mother, uh, or Sky's mother, as she's closing the door on avian originally ends the conversation with nice knowing you and that's the point where avian is like hey wait a second what does that mean like we'll still see each other around and the mom like pushes back it's pretty funny 
Uh, cause she's like, are you giving me attitude now? And, <laughs> and then Sky interrupts and he says, Hey, I've got a new dance I want to show you. I call it the move on with your life. Then we get this creep show style shot where this red light shines down on Avian, who declares that, uh, Mary Catherine Gallagher must die. She doesn't really mean it though. No, she's just, it looks like she does, but, but she doesn't. No, no, she's just upset in the moment. And then we, we have another moment where Mary Catherine is, making out with an inanimate object in this case and it's a stop sign slater sees her from his bike and starts to follow her she starts to get a little freaked out and then he catches up to her and it's to give her back her journal and inside the the cover of her journal he has pressed a flower which uh still uh mary catherine is freaked out by thinking that he's being obsessive or something the sweetness of this scene is not enough to overshadow the weirdness of her talking with this stop sign. (laughs) It's as odd as her talking with the tree, but um, I'm glad that we don't see her talking to any other inanimate objects, you know, throughout the film. She's only dating two of them. They don't know about each other. And as long as that's the case, you know, everybody's going to be just fine. Do you ever think the tree is like, Hey, I smell stop sign on you. I think the stop signs, like I smell sap on you. Ooh. We go in and we get to see the uh, the talent show auditions. And in it, um, the goth girl gets up there and she sings The Devil Went Down to Georgia, which is kind of funny. Mary Catherine then gets on stage and she begins to sing the song uh, Sometimes When We Touch by Dan Hill. And she does a really good job. The audience applauds. However, Evian then dumps a bucket of blue paint on her a la Carrie. Right. And everyone in the audience is in shock, except... For Tom Green, who doesn't really laugh as much as he just kind of releases this, I don't know, like repeated guttural yawp of approval. And with his hands clasped around his mouth to amplify the sound, lest someone not hear it in this auditorium of maybe, what, 75 people, he's just screaming out the words bullshit and he's yelling out the word retard. It really reminded me of home. In that respect. If I'm there, I am definitely thinking that this person is either high or on a daily from some sort of facility. (laughs) I would feel like without knowing for sure... I had been in the presence of someone who did, who did PCP. His character, like his character feels like an adult version of any of those asshole kids that gave, you know, Pinocchio shitty advice on pleasure Island. <laughs> right. Right. Kind of looking for the angle. Like it's a little Dahmer esque. I don't know if you know this little fact <laughs> and it might make you think differently about some people we know, but in, when he was in high school, Jeffrey Dahmer, the way that he kind of fit in amongst his, you know, so-called friends was that he would just do these spastic seizures in the middle of the hallway. And a bunch of kids kind of ironically included him in their little clique because they just thought he was this funny weirdo that would do weird shit that's i feel like the tom green character he is just the reason that he's around sky in that gang it's just like man you never know what this cat's gonna do sometimes it's really funny a lot of times it's just weird and creepy (laughs) there's a scientific uh term for that behavior some weird shithead like knock it off man so mary Catherine runs off and who does she run into uh covered in blue paint 
uh, Mary Catherine that is, uh, she runs into Slater who's waiting outside on his motorcycle. Uh, she gets on the bike and they ride off to Night Ranger's sister Christian. It's it's a pretty fun moment. And it's and so later on, it's now nighttime and they go to this large swimming pool, which is the one we realized from the beginning of the movie. It's here that we learn that Slater doesn't talk because he has this terrible stutter. And he also, uh, at this point, shows his birthmark which identifies him as the boy from the beginning of the movie. Which I want to ask you, did you see that coming in this film? Uh, I think as soon as they were at the pool, it was like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense because this movie is actually paying off what it sets up. And yes, it that it's time for that character to come back. Yeah, I, I mean, but it was only until then that I didn't have it called from the cheap seats or nothing. Did you think that his stutter was caused because of the lack of oxygen from when she clocked him in the head years ago? I assumed as much either that, or it was autoerotic asphyxiation, <laughs> which is what I assume anyone who has any kind of laryngeal problem the, that the root cause of it is choking and cranking. <laughs> That's usually the root cause of most things. Cranking the autoerotic asphyxiation aficionado magazine yeah like issue one is like the the cover story is like what belts are best <laughs> lean <laughs> like ribbon or rope like that kind of thing how far to lean so forward you uh you touched on this scene a little bit earlier um where mary Catherine and uh, slater are sitting beside the pool and she asks him if he thinks she's pretty. And then she says that sometimes she just hates the way that she is and that she wants Sky to think she's pretty. And it's this really quiet, vulnerable moment of, I don't know, sadness. I, I think there's this sort of frustration that you have this drive, or, you know, Mary does, that it, it's all she wants. It's all she cares about. And she can't not care about it. But yeah. the pursuit of that thing puts her at odds with what is acceptable or what is encouraged. And, and, and you know, obviously that's the big theme of the movie. It's like, well, fuck them. You do your thing. But yeah, it's this really sweet moment. And I like the fact that he doesn't just say, yes, you're pretty. And, you know, it's, it's again, this is a really nice performance from Harlan Williams where he says, you know, Mary, I think you're beautiful. They follow up that nice moment with another one where they start to get in the pool and he does what he did when he was a kid and starts to ease in, but Mary stops him and and kind of pulls him in with her in a more mad jump into the pool. And so many nice little things about that. Like, you know, like you have the the characters who were separated by the way they entered the pool and now she is pulling him uh, into a, being a freer person, which is sort of his arc, right? Is he's he's too reserved, he's too withdrawn, he doesn't speak to almost anyone else. He, he's too afraid to tell her how he really feels until <laughs> divine intervention. But it, yeah, it's just this nice little moment that pays attention to the characters and their relationship to each other. It should be noted that they jump into the pool and he immediately sinks to the bottom and she has to save him again. So. Right. Right. Well, yeah, it ends with a joke. Sure. But, and so they have a good time and, uh, you know, continue swimming around and whatnot. And he finally takes her home before he leaves. Mary asks him like, did you mean it when you said that you think I'm beautiful and that sky would want to kiss me? And Slater says, uh, you know, sky would be crazy not to want to kiss you. And again, the, you know, it's this nice little unspoken moment between the characters and whatnot. And she's so she's so happy to have that reassurance from someone else. And it completely flies over her head 
that, you know, he's subtly, you know, expressing how he feels about her during this conversation. And, and it works. It's, 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 it's a very sweet moment. Yeah. And it really like, it anchors the, the, the heart of this movie in a lot of ways this scene does where kind of no matter what happens from here on out, as long as you pay that off and those, those crazy kids end up together at the end, I'm, I'm probably going to be okay with it. Cause we're already at the, you know, fucking 70 minute mark or whatever in this movie. And, you only got and, like nine minutes left. Yeah, wrap this thing up, man. Right. Uh, so Mary sneaks in, but Grandma is up. Uh-oh. And it turns out Ritley has called. And she she passed the audition. Gra- the Grandma then says, look, I used to dance on Broadway. I won't let you be in a show, but I'll help you star in a show. And so we get a bit of training from Grandma. She's t- teaching Mary uh, some moves. And this is one of my favorite gags in the movie where Mary knocks the TV over onto the ugliest dog so that it is kind of crushed from the, you know, middle of it so that its ass is sticking out. And this dog puppet, uh, sort of the whole gag is that the dog is crushed. The dog, uh, dies and meets Will Ferrell God there. And, you know, he's like, it's not your time yet, boy, go back. And, you know, like has to throw something to get the dog to run back to its body. You know that the dog is alive again because this shitty looking little tail starts to wag as this dog <laughs> is still crushed by the television. It really cracked me up. I liked it quite a bit. Uh, in fact, my note is that's a funny dead dog puppet. <laughs> <laughs> so we assemble our rogues gallery, right? Like we're bringing all this back together because by God, this is a movie that has a plan and these characters are all going to get used. So the team of misfits, like our, our special ed class is going to be the backup being trained along with Mary as, as grandma is uh is teaching them how to how to dance and whatnot this is all set to the go-go's again there is a weird f-bomb in this scene where when she is telling our you know our, our gang of misfits you know look when i say jump you say then you jump if i say hop you hop if i say pirouette you pirouette and uh you know mary's like hey can we speed this up and she's like no i got a couple of more and if I say booga booga, then you booga booga. Uh, one of the kids is like, I don't know what that means. And she says, well, then if I say booga booga, then you better fucking figure out what I mean by booga booga. That grandma means business. Man. Right. Did you laugh at the joke? I did laugh at it. I like old women cursing. <laughs> I wish there were more of it in films. Like, I, 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 you know, now that we've got that Ocean's 8 movie out, there ought to be a dirty old women movie. I don't want to see that. Like, gr- like grumpy old men, but you're calling it dirty old women? reason they can't make a dirty old women movie as you describe is because that domain name has been taken for decades trust me (laughs) don't go to that one at work or you're not going to be able to come in the day after that what if it's just hard work and coal mining women that's (laughs) dirtyoldwomen.com no you're probably right like there is a section that that is just called sexy grandmas on dirtyoldwomen.com i would like to get back to the movie now because i'm really really getting uncomfortable uh, and excited. Maybe because I'm learning something about myself. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to bury that deep down inside and, and uh, deal with that uh, yep. uh, decades from now. Stamp, stamp, stamp it down. That's my motto. <laughs> uh, so um, so uh, things are looking up for our heroes. They're they're getting the hang of things. And we here we have one of the nods to fame when uh, after the training, Mary uh, pulls out an old hat box and there's a single 
of the song Fame uh, in the hat box. And she does her, her prayers where uh, she she prays uh, for you know her grandma and everything and she hops in a bed it's the night before the show here we go yeah so it's the it's the night of the talent show and uh father pastor you know mark mckinney uh he comes out to MC the event raising money to help fight vd and he tells the audience you know that none of them would be there if it wasn't for vd he sells these lines in a very funny way i mean i, f- I find mark mckinney to be very very entertaining yeah, it's um, like kind of Tom a Seymour Skinner kind of delivery to the lines. That's pretty good. It is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just like like overselling the uh, the the gravity of the situation <laughs> and ignoring the humor of it, which Tom Green, thank God, is there in the audience and he yells out VD rules. And look, if, if I'm in the audience and like in an event and something like this happens, the first thing I'm thinking is that one, this kid's parents have failed not only him, but just society at large. And then following that, you know, this person does not have a full understanding of the scope and severity of everything that falls under the classification of venereal disease. It's not something to laugh about. I'm not saying I know this from firsthand experience. I'm just saying I've looked up some things on the internet. And then lastly, if I was at an event and somebody screaming out like this, I would be looking around for any blunt object or like discarded like electrical cord to to procure before leaving this event in preparation of just beating the shit out of this person in the parking lot so that it never happens again. He's just a <laughs> he's just a dick. Yeah, that's a real like sock full of quarters situation, you know. So anyway, so the show starts and everyone's nervous. Uh, Evian comes over and she kind of forcibly apologizes to Mary Catherine and she tells her that she and Sky will still be dancing in the show. We then see uh, Slater leaving town on his motorcycle. And who shows up but God to tell him he needs to turn around and go back and see Mary Catherine Gallagher. One of the things I like about this scene is that Slater says, do you think that she likes me? To which God replies, hey, man, I'm I'm changing like space (laughs) and time on the middle of this road and telling you to go back to her. I think you got a shot. Right. Yes. Why question the divine if they tell you, like, you need to go do this thing. Shut the fuck up and just go do the thing. <laughs> so Slater turns around and heads back into town. We cut to Sky and Evian. They come out to perform. Sky lets everyone know in the audience that they are still broken up. Repeat, broken up. And <laughs> yeah, it's some of his delivery that just, just kills me. So and in this scene, uh, Will Ferrell has like full on five o'clock shadow. And he's got like enough armpit <laughs> hair for like three men. Like he's there's no way yeah he's anywhere near near the age of a high school student. He, he is the and, combined um, body hair of most high schools. <laughs> so uh Mary Catherine gets nervous and she runs to confession where she says that she's been selfish. She wants her performance to go well, not to make her a superstar, but for her grandmother, and she wants everything to go well. And for her to be safe for the sake of her grandmother. And again, it sort of pivots her character again, even from the noble pursuit of wanting to have that first fireworks kiss that she almost sort of focuses her goodness in an even more noble way. I mean, well, she understands, you know, at this point, how how much her, her grandmother might have loved the fact that, you know, Mary was into the performing or whatever but was just terrified of it and and her willingness to allow Mary to actually perform is you know th- this sort of moment of trust right of you know I I'm going 
to believe you will not get hurt. And yeah, it's a nice, another very nice moment for the character of Mary Catherine Gallagher. I think that one of the things that makes this part of the movie so much fun is that she is completely fulfilling all the stuff that has been set up before. Like just a couple of moments before when she's talking to Avian, who comes to apologize, she actually says like, Look, I, I just want, you know, I'm going to say good luck to you as well. But tonight's not about me. It's not about Sky or you. This is about, I need to do tonight for me. And and so it's all these, like, the tumblers are follow, falling now where this character is just realizing more and more of their potential. So Mary Catherine comes out on stage and she starts quietly singing uh, the song Out Here On My Own, which is from the musical Fame, which was composed by Michael Gore, who, as noted earlier, composed the music for this movie. Mary Catherine sings like two or three lines, and then Tom Green screams out in a quieted theater, mind you, you suck. I swear to God, I would turn around and punch somebody in the mouth for doing that. <laughs> just throw a chair. Even in the scene, I, I almost like turned around and like punched the wall. I, I would just jump up and just beat the shit out of somebody. I'm not a violent person, but if you're watching someone up there, you know, in the spotlight, quietly singing this and you yo, you suck. I would just turn and just, just, and no one would call the police. I mean, it would be like some sort of weird country justice of like, just go, man, <laughs> just go. Yeah. Next to Ken shit. Uh, yeah, like, I would counter that the problem, the fault lies not in our stars, Chad. It lies in the adults in the audience that are letting this happen. It is not up to the children to defend themselves. Father no, Ridley I'm talking is right there. Why is he not grabbing that kid out of the crowd, shoving him in a confessional booth and locking the door till this thing's over? Well, that's that's the plan for later tonight. <laughs> DirtyAlterBoys.com. It's a click through. <laughs> it's a family of websites. <laughs> yeah, it's a the last remaining web hub. <laughs> Mary Catherine's singing improves as she is slowly accompanied by a piano, and we see Slater come in the back to be able to see her perform. As the the song slowly moves towards a crescendo, a full orchestra of music kicks in uh, via a record player. Uh, Mary Catherine rips off her, you know, sort of a Catholic uniform to reveal this red sequin outfit and her chorus line is behind her. It's, I mean, it's a big production and, and, uh, there are neon lights, uh, turning on behind them. Uh, it's really well choreographed. And then, uh, uh, the nun we have seen before accidentally hits the record player, just like Fat Teddy McGinty did so many years ago and it speeds up the record player right again this movie is paying it all off chad <laughs> take, take note other people right right it's not that fucking hard it took one line of dialogue <laughs> so anyway she's dancing her heart out and trying to keep up and then she falls but who shows up but the Lord God Almighty comes in and tells Mary Catherine that she must get up. And she does, but there's no music playing. It's just dead silence. So Mary Catherine just starts doing the robot and all of her backup dancers immediately get on the same page. And then the choreography of this dancing 
begins to mirror that of the opening uh, Busby Berkeley musical number as, again, the orchestration of music behind them comes in and they finish the musical number in grand fashion. Our heroes are triumphant. Everyone applauds. The grandmother is just overwhelmed with joy. Sky is even cheering them on and appreciating how awesome their dancing was. And our, you know, ragtag bunch of special ed misfits have proven to be um, this incredibly talented, worthy group of performers. Yep. Uh, and so much so that when Father Ridley announces the winner, sure enough, it is uh, it is Mary Catherine Gallagher. And everyone's happy except for Evian. Right. And uh, Mary Catherine congratulates her on her great dancing and her costume, but informs Evian that she didn't know she was competing against a superstar. And she drops to one knee and throws her hands in the air in triumphant celebration. And um, you're really happy for. Yeah, yeah. It's the one time I normally don't think that's that funny a bit, but it's the one time because again, it's all been set up and you've been cheering for this character, and finally it all pays off. And yeah, when she does the superstar, it's it's yeah a real yeah good for you, Mary. So Sky comes out and compl- compliments Mary Catherine on uh, nice moves, and um, this is where we're gonna get. Uh, the fireworks kiss between the two of them. The downside, though, is that it's just not right. It turns out that they they have a kiss. It doesn't set off the fireworks that Mary had hoped for. And they kind of part ways. And when she turns around to face Helen, uh, she kind of makes a face like it was red. That was gross. She does make a really funny face. It's not just like it was bad. It's looked like like he'd just be eating like like shit sandwiches or something. I mean, it's like, 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 I think I'm going to throw up after kissing that guy. Yeah. It's, she says, you know, it was only okay. Then there is Slater because we got to pay off just a couple of more things in this movie. And this is a biggie. Slater comes out and he kisses her and it's really the kind of kiss you only see between two people in their mid to late thirties. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. If, if those crazy kids can't make it with their mortgages, what, what, what chance do you and I have? No. <laughs> right, with their three kids between them. <laughs> so um, she finally gets her fireworks kiss, and then th- the movie ends with what I'm going to describe as three incredibly uncomfortable scenes, two of which take place on stage in front of the entire talent show audience. The first of these three scenes, um, the OCD guy kisses the homophobic guy, who then says, what are you, gay? And the OCD guy says, five times more gay than you think, peaches. And then he kisses him four more times on the mouth. <laughs> and then the homophobic guy doesn't really react negatively to all of this uh-huh. kissing, which I was like, well, that's to be expected. You know, yeah, me I, thinks me the lady doth present. The... Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, no, that, that, that you, you took the joke right out of my mouth. And then this is followed up with another scene where the goth chick is standing next to the guy who fakes being on drugs all the time. And then she just like pushes his head down towards her crotch. And then she looks around all suspicious like, but keep in mind, she's on stage in front of an audience. And I was terribly confused. I didn't know if this was an oral sex joke or I was like, I don't know what the hell to make of this. Oh, I think that's most certainly what it was. And I think the look around was like, hey, did my parents leave? Because if they're gone, then where all (laughs) systems go? I guess so. Maybe you know what? She likes to to you know to perform in front of people. Everybody's got uh you know everybody's got something that uh, makes their engine rap. If we got we look, we've got the full gamut here. We got uh Sky and Avian hanging out in the wings. We got Slater and Mary kissing. We got uh Thomas and uh the other kid Owen 
uh, kissing. Now we got this guy going down on her <laughs> stage right. I think now that's a show, sir. I think, in fact, that is the the second act of Rent. <laughs> that certainly may be the case. So our third uncomfortable scene to really just set things on a, a I don't know a weird note to to wrap this up. We see Mary Catherine and she's saying that's my story and you know that's how it happened and we're you know you've seen this uh, this framing device before. And she's talking with this anonymous character, but then we immediately see that who she's talking to is the tree from the schoolyard and she's breaking up with the tree. (laughs) And uh, she starts like talking sexy and she makes out one last time and she throws her leg around the tree stump once again. And then who's standing there in the background? Sister likes to watch and then roll credits. That's the movie. Man, if I may, uh, a note I left out of the intro that I felt would be appropriate here is that Bruce McCullough hasn't done a ton of interviews about this movie, but in one that he did, he talked about how Molly Shannon loved doing take after take and just always had energy and was very complimentary of her. But the line that stood out was he said... Yeah, and after shooting uh shooting the the makeout scenes, I got to tell you we couldn't get her off that goddamn tree. <laughs> and that's almost a direct quote which made me insanely happy to read that she just went after it. And you can kind of tell, you know, it's a funny way to end the movie and she is straight up humping a tree. And it's it's pretty good. So that is Superstar. Again, if you have never seen this movie, you feel like that we've given away every single funny moment in it. Uh, to Bo's point earlier, a lot of the humor is more in the execution and not the punchline. So this one gets a two uh, two big thumbs up for me. I highly recommend checking it out. It, it, it's the easiest movie we've done to recommend to someone. Superstar is the first legitimate, hey, I think that if you enjoy a good quirky comedy, you're just going to have a good time with this. There's, again, there's some weird tree humping and a grandma saying fuck and a few other things like that. But for the most part, I mean, if you got... It's it's pretty family friendly for the most part. I, I really enjoyed it. If you got um, less than ninety minutes to kill, <laughs> then then boy, have we got a movie for you? Yeah. Speaking of movies for us, Chad, uh, next week you bring the the noise. Uh, yeah. As we middle aged white men often say. Ugh, boy. So, in our third episode, um, we're going to be dealing with some more complicated subject matter with uh, Julia Sweeney's most infamous character from Saturday Night Live um, in the film adaptation of the sketch. It's Pat. I can say right now that as much as I enjoyed this movie, whatever the opposite of how this made me feel is uh, (laughs) how the It's Pat movie made me feel. It's really beyond words. There's a lot of fascinating, interesting stuff going on in there. And I can guarantee you that, you know, in this movie was a bit of a love fest of, of how adorably charming it is. I guarantee you that in the next episode, we're just going to be taking a flamethrower to this film. This movie is perhaps the most intentionally bad film you've ever seen in your life. There's no way that you accidentally make a movie this awful. And I've, I've seen a lot of bad movies. 
this is up there. Mm, intriguing. I like a good conspiracy. Folks uh, listening at, at home or in your car or in the basement of a video store. Uh, or a rectory or <laughs> while, while you're humping a tree. <laughs> and if you can combine any of those, well done. But hey, if you would, uh, you know, usual stuff. Uh, if you're enjoying the show, leave a, a rating, leave a review. Uh, and, and most importantly, uh, tell a friend if they're looking for a, a podcast about movies. And we'll be back next week with It's Pat. Holy God, that sounds terrible. Chad, thanks so much as always. And uh, I guess we just say goodnight now. Thank you so much uh, for listening. And uh, please come back next week. I guarantee um, that it's going to be a tragically good time. <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody.